right, so as you may have guessed from the video, today we're talking about fighting, as you might have heard also from the song, Fighting. So if you grew up and you were always told, don't fight, turn the other cheek, today is your day to let loose, because we're talking about fighting. And also, if you grew up and you love fighting and, and getting your knuckles bloody because of somebody else's nose is your thing, welcome to church. Like, we are glad that you're here. You will fit right in today. If you were watching UFC last night, little did you know that you're already halfway to church in your head. Uh, we're talking about, the, uh, talking about fighting because the Christian life, everything that we do in following Jesus is a fight. And that shouldn't be something that surprises anyone. We're talking about the authentic Christianity. It's what's on the screen. Uh, looking at a book called First Thessalonians. It's something that Paul, uh, a church leader 2,000 years ago, wrote to a church that he started. He was saying, this is what it looks like for you to be authentic. And it's not just something that people say and people pledged to with their words is something that they live out with their actions, which means that if we're living that out, there are going to be other actions to stop. There's going to be things that authenticate and also devalue our walk with Jesus. And there's going to be a separation between those two. One way that we live and that we testify that Jesus is God of our lives is that there's a difference between the way that we live inside the church and the way that that is lived outside the church. And so what Paul is saying is this is what an authentic life looks like. And for all of us to aspire to that, to follow that, means that there's going to be fights in our life that we take on to follow Jesus. And that is a shock to no one, especially Jesus Four times in his lifetime, it was written down in the books that are written about him by people who saw a lot of it happen. Jesus said that to follow me means that you take up death and you fight death. He talks about it as a cross. You take up your cross and you follow me. You cannot follow me unless that happens. He's saying you cannot follow me. You're not worth calling yourself a Christian unless you take up this fight. And so in light of that, in view of the, the idea that Jesus has that this isn't just us going through life in neutral, but us saying we're going to fight this and all the power that God gave us. Today we're going to look at three fights that every Christian is in from the moment they say yes to Jesus until the day that their heart stops beating and they go to Jesus. And so that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. It's a lot of verses, and I'm going to read all of them uh, right now. So you can go there in your Bible or your app and catch up. So, dear brothers and sisters, have after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope now, and what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It's you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Finally, when we could not stand it any longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our dear brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from becoming shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that you were destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you, and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and, and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want, us, you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and sufferings, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you're standing firm in the Lord. 
how we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill the gaps in your faith. So may God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God, our Father, when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. So in there, there are three fights kind of hidden in the words that Paul says that all of us are going to fight from the moment we say yes to Jesus until the day that we go to be with Jesus. And the first one of those, it was the first thing that he mentioned. It's the fight with the devil. And this is a fight with the devil and not with people. Paul begins right away, verse 18. He says, he says, we wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. All right, I read that in my normal person, not pastor lens, and I think one thing, Satan prevented us, that means he's using that as an excuse, okay? I was not going to steal the car, but Satan made me do it. The devil made me do it. I was not going to steal the cookie, a little kid would say, but the devil made me do it. And so I think we hear that, and we, see, we hear Paul saying this. And we think one of two things, either like you are looking for an excuse or we look at this objectively. We look at who the person of Paul is. We look at who non-Christians say that he is, that he is a guy who is understandably with it. Like he is brilliant for his age. The way that he writes, the arguments that he puts together, his line of thought, he is smart. That's what non-Christian historians who look at the Bible from a historical point of view say. We look at it as Christians, as, as, and we see Paul as, as somebody who started the church, who took it from this little thing in Jerusalem that had a few little outposts and blasted it all throughout the known world at that point. And if he says that Satan is actually going to go and prevent people from doing things, I think that means that he's right. That he's not crazy, he's not just looking for an excuse. He's saying that Satan is actually, as we were told throughout the whole Bible, that he is the absolute enemy of God. That he is the destroyer of our souls. The Bible talks about it in a bunch of different ways. It says that he is a lion ready to eat sheep who are God's people. He is God's enemy. He is the deceiver who's been lying from the beginning. He is the devourer. He is a vicious wolf sent to destroy the flock of God's people. And he's armed with weapons and strategies to completely destroy us. He is the originator all sin, and he is opposed to everything that God does. God is about life. God is about Christians growing in their relationship with him. And Satan says, I'm about the exact opposite. Instead of people being filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, looking forward to the life that God has for them, leaving behind their past, Satan says, you know what, I'm going to twist that on its head. And instead of being people who are excited about what God has done, I'm going to remind you about the things in your past that you did, that maybe God can't forgive. That maybe God's power isn't big enough to conquer who you used to be. So I'm going to remind you of that daily. Your joy for service, your opportunities to serve, I'm going to take all those away and tell you about what you can't do, really. Who you can't be. The battles that you will never win. That's the opposite of who God is. And so Paul is saying that that is what kept him from going, going to visit this church saying we wanted to do it, but there is actually something in the world that is big, that, that is completely against God, completely against the church, and that's what prevented us. He's not looking for an excuse. He's saying there is a battle that we will all fight that is against the devil, and it will last forever, and one day we're going to win, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to be in heaven with God face-to-face -face, looking at our Savior who gave his life for us, and that battle is going to be over. 
and the devil has been conquered once and for all, and we're going to step into the fullness of that when we die and raise heaven with God. That battle is against the devil. It is not against other people. I think so often as we go through life and, and people come against us and bruise us and cut us and just make us kind of feel like, oh, people suck. Let's just be honest sometimes. We want to put them as the option, put them as the enemy and them as the source of everything that's wrong in our lives. And the Bible tells us it's not that way. Paul, the same guy who wrote this in a different letter uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, your battle is not against flesh and blood enemies. But you don't understand who these people are. You don't understand how bad these people are, the things that they have done to me, the ways that these people have wronged me. He says, no, your battle is not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's saying, as you fight, you don't fight people. You don't fight people. Jesus came to save and redeem and rescue and release and remake people. We're men and women in God's own image, regardless of how we treat each other. That is the beginning, that we are humans made by the same God. And when we fight against each other, it's not humans fighting against humans. It's people who follow God, people who follow the devil, fighting against each other. And living by this gives us freedom. It gives us freedom because we are now free to forgive people. We're free to serve people. We're free to love people. Because even when they turn around and, and, and treat us like nothing, doesn't matter because they're not the enemy. We fight the devil and we don't fight people. We love people. We serve people. We give to people. We share Jesus with them. And if they completely reject us, it's not on us. We're treating them as our friends, not our enemies. And so as we fight the devil, this is the first thing that's brought up in here is there's a devil that's preventing Paul from going to strengthen this church and Paul being strengthened by the church. This is a devil that's preventing him. Did that devil have skin on and take the form of people in some points? Of course. We face that every day in life. But as we face it, we're not fighting people. We're fighting the work of the devil that sometimes has skin on and comes against us. And if you're the person here who thinks that your whole life has been person after person taking a swing at you and trying to hold you down and everything that you are is trying to measure up and get people to stop picking on you, and there's freedom for you today because you're living on a lie. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sins, you are a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. And that battle that you've been fighting and losing all of your energy on for your entire life can be won by Jesus today. He wants to remind you of who you are. He wants to remind you of your true identity as his son, as his daughter, that the fight can end today. Because you're not fighting people. You're fighting a defeated foe that Jesus has already conquered and wants to lead you into that victory. That's the first fight, is the fight with the devil. Second fight is the fight with temptation. Verse 5, he says, That is why I could bear it no longer. I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. So what's temptation? Temptation is the overall big plan of the devil to steal, to kill, and destroy in a personal edition. So each one of us are tempted by different things. I just got back from two weeks in Africa, and that is like a germaphobe's nightmare. Right? Every opportunity that we had, people were like dowsing themselves in hand sanitizer. And for me, that's not my issue. I'm like, give me another goat to pet. Uh, because like, th that's just not me. 
Now, when I get around to it every other day, when we're at a place with water and soap, sure, I'll wash my hands. But in the meantime, it's like we're doing spit shakes with seven-year-olds because that's not a thing for me. My thing is distraction. For me, Anna and I will not go to a date at Doghouse because I will not pay any attention. Okay, If there is a TV that is as big as my car and it is blasting sports, I'll tell you what I'm watching. Okay, When we go to a restaurant and there's a TV, she knows to take the, take the seat that faces the TV, and I get the one that faces the parking lot. Like That is how we survive. Otherwise, that's how the fight starts, and it is never good. Temptation is the devil's plan to steal, kill, and destroy in a personal ambition. So for me, sometimes it's a 200-inch TV playing college football because that will destroy whatever conversation I'm supposed to be having for the benefit of my marriage at that meal. Others, it's germs. For me, it's not. So what do we do with this? How do we fight temptation? Two things. One is run. The answer throughout the Bible, when you are tempted, you run. You could be Usain Bolt. You could know who Usain Bolt is and have a pair of running shoes that's collecting dust in your closet. But, but we run spiritually. We get away from temptation as fast as possible. That means that we change the shows that we watch. That means that we change the things that we let on our phone. That means that we change the people that we're around that lead us into sin. That means we do everything possible that we can to get out of the situation. And as you begin to follow Jesus more and more and take God more and more seriously in your life, this idea of temptation, this devil of temptation will show up where you never expected it before. Because before, you didn't care. Because before, it wasn't a battle that you had started fighting. It was just something that you did. just part of your life. But as we give up more and more of who we are, then God says, you know, I, I want to deal with this today. And not in a way that, like he's going to nitpick, but as a way, as a shepherd, he's going to lead us into peace. He's going to lead us into freedom. He's going to lead us into repentance as we say, this is the way that I used to live. And God, one more, in one more area, is saying, you know what, I want to turn that back to me. I want to bring that back into who I made you from the beginning to be, which means that forever you're going to be fighting temptation. You're going to win one day. You're going to conquer one thing. It's going to be dead, gone, buried, no longer part of your life. And so what God is going to do is he's going to bring up the next thing. Because what he tells us to do is to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means there are going to be a lot of dark spots in our area, in our life that God is going to shine the light on. Lots of areas of temptation that God is going to say, okay, now let's deal with this. So what do we do? We run for our whole lives. And also, we're, under, we're sympathetic, we're, we're understanding about other people's temptation. The same guy, Paul, who wrote this at one point, uh, he was talking about uh, a big controversy in his day, not really a thing in our day, but about meat being sacrificed to idols. And some people are like, so what? It's a dead idol. It's not God. It's, it's fake. Let's eat the meat. Uh, Jesus died for T-bone steak. And so like, yes, let's eat this. And other people are like, whoa, that's an idol. That's a bad thing. I'm not even going to touch that. Yeah, I know it's a fake God, but still, I, I don't want that in my life. And Paul says, I'm not just going to say get over it. Because if this thing, if this issue is causing somebody to, to lose faith, to get discouraged, somebody who Jesus died for, I will never eat meat again. Because that's how much I want people to find freedom. And that's the attitude we're supposed to have about areas where other people are tempted. Now we look at them, they share their story, man, this is an area I'm tempted with. You don't go, you're pathetic. Say, okay, I'll stand with you in this. We will find freedom together in this as we fight temptation. So three fights. First one is fight the devil. Second one is we fight temptation. The third one is we fight discouragement. Fight discouragement. 
God's primary goal for Paul, for all of us, me included, is that we aren't going to be people who live happy lives, but people who are going to grow in a relationship with God where our lives are transformed by holiness. He says, I don't want to be a bunch of people who are just happy. I want people set apart for me who are holy. He isn't after our happiness as much as he is after our holiness, which means that he will lead us through things that make us flat out unhappy sometimes because at the end, he's going to get you and me who have walked through dark valleys, but walked through them to come out with more peace, more love, more joy, more satisfaction and outright fulfillment and holiness in who God is than we would have if we never left our happy zone. He says, I'm going to pull you through this. There will be seasons of your life where you face discouragement. And the reason for that is, is because that is where you're going to find me. And I'm going to show you how much I love you. And I'm going to show you how big my plan and my power and my hope and my desire to run your life is. And that's where we're going to find God. And the idea of a Christian life that never has any dark spots isn't biblical. It's fake. We see this because we see Paul here fighting discouragement. Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, is fighting discouragement. Verse 17. He says, Brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because our intense longing to see you again. Man, the guy's discouraged. I want to be there. I can't be there. I want to see what's going on. This is a church that Paul built with his bare hands and he can't go to check on it. And I think if there's anyone in the New Testament to face discouragement, to suffer from discouragement, it's Paul. Okay, Jesus suffered more, but Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen every step of the way. Paul didn't. And he talks about his struggles. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, picking it up in the middle of the verse, he says, I've worked harder and been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death Again and again, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I'd traveled on many long journeys. I'd faced danger from rivers and robbers. I'd faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I'd faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I'd faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked harder, I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gotten without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. And then beside all that, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Man, that's that's a discouragement. Thing after thing after thing. But Paul doesn't come out at the end of it saying, Man, I, this hasn't been worth it. This has been really, really tough comes out and says that he's found the answer from jail in Philippians 4. He says this, he says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. This is in jail. I've learned to be content in jail. I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying it's not about the discouragement that's out there because that will never leave. The more he pushes into people, the more he invests himself in starting churches where there are no churches, especially areas that are hostile to a Christian church, he's going to find more and more discouragement. But what he's going to find to overwhelm that, to counter that, to completely wipe that out of his life is a relationship with Jesus that's going to change everything. 
He says, if I only stay with what I have, yeah, I'm going to be discouraged forever because I've got all these things. But if I trust Jesus, if I'm going to let him control my life, if I'm going to let him run me through everything else, I'm going to find that I can do everything through Jesus who gives me strength. I'm going to find that there's hope in Jesus. I'm going to find that there's peace in Jesus. I'm going to find that there's joy in Jesus. That discouragement is a battle to fight, but it's a battle that's winnable in Jesus. So four strategies to win the fight. You know, all of these build on each other. The first one is spend time together with Christians. Congratulations, we're doing that. All right, you've got step one nailed. Sundays, we get together. If your habit is to go to church once a month or once every six months, double that. Be here weekly to hear what God has to say to you, to be encouraged, to be around people who are going to pray for you on the sides or pray for you in the parking lot as you ask them. People who understand Jesus like you and you can say, hey man, I'm going through a hard time right now. Can you pray for me? I've got this big thing coming up that could go good, that could go bad. Can you pray for me? Spend time around other Christians. In the fall when school starts and everything and ministry starts to ramp up again, we're going to have life group signups where you're going to be in other places during the week around other Christians. Talking about things that are going to hit you in your life around other Christians. This does not mean that I'm telling anyone to move from where they live into a commune so you can eat, eat sleep, drink, and breathe 24-7 around other Christians. Okay, That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the middle of life, as you gather here on Sundays, we want to gather also during the week with Christians. We're going to do that through life groups. We're going to do that uh, through shapes groups, getting together to read the Bible, journal about what God is saying to us, and, and pray for each other. Spend time with other Christians. And while you're doing that, part of what you're going to talk about, part of what you're going to share, is you're going to share faith that carries you through hard times. Verse 2. It says, We sent Timothy to you. He was our brother and our co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith. What's the good news? The good news is the message that God loves you. He always has, he always will, and that's never changing. Timothy is coming, bringing them that message. You're in a place right now that is hard. Paul talks about that, that there's difficulty coming. But know that as difficulty comes, there's already a God who came before all that and will be there after all that, who loves you and holds you and knows everything about you. And within that, even as all of us has fallen away from God and taken steps, deliberate steps away from God through what the Bible calls sin, there are things that, that Jesus came to die for. Us fighting against God and Jesus completely won the battle to pay the penalty for our fights against God. And that as we say yes to that, Jesus comes into our lives to live inside of us, to not be God in a book or God in a building, but God inside of us to carry us through these difficult times. And when you're with other Christians, that's what you encourage each other with. Man, something's gone bad in my life. Okay, God is here, he's big, he's in power, and he can carry you through that. Or God is here, he's in power, he can heal you of that. God can change the situation before you go through it. It's faith that carries us through hard times. Third thing, we're with other Christians, there's faith that carries us through hard times. There's also the idea of serving. We don't do church here because it's good for us to have more things to do in life. We do church here because we know that there's a God that loves the Sunnyside area. If there's a Jesus who came for the Sunnyside area, and we want people to hear about that. We want people to decide to say yes to Jesus and build their relationship with him in this place. 
And as we serve and as we build the church together, we're going to have more and more ability to do that. It's like with humans, all right? You give birth to a baby, we don't expect the baby to do anything for like three years. Like nothing to contribute to the household, okay? If you're here and you're not a Christian, excellent. We are so glad that you're here. Sit back, enjoy. If you want to get involved with anything, get involved. But just listen to Jesus. Jesus loves you. I want to tell you all about him every single Sunday. If you are a Christian, your job is to grow into Christian maturity, which means that as you spend more and more months or years as a Christian, eventually you're going to start doing stuff too. At home, I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old, and we expect varying degrees of household contribution from all three of those. The three-year-old, he makes messes. That's basically all he does in the like household chore department. Okay, Nine-year-old and seven-year-old, they have learned to clean up the messes. They've gone from being the source of the messes to clean up of the messes. And it's the same for us as Christians. As we grow, as we have been Christians for more and more months and years, we start contributing. We come to church, and instead of just being the cause of the mess or the cause of the need for service, we become people who actually start serving and start taking care of things. Christians, non-Christians both know that service is something that's good for us. It helps us grow. It helps us contribute to something, and it makes us feel better as we give of ourselves to whatever the need is ahead of us that's presenting, us, presenting itself. All of this started because Paul is a servant to God and is going to start this church. So now he wants to go back to it, back to the area where he served once before. And here at Sunnyside and also at Prodigal, uh, there are going to be tons of opportunities for people to serve, to get involved in an area where you want to serve. I think that's one of the great things about serving in the church is it's not like you sign up and you're just going to get placed all, everybody, every single different personality type in the same exact thing. Because we've got a lot of people who would much rather never help with ushers and greeters and never have to shake hands and smile at people and say, welcome to church every Sunday. They would never want to do that. But for every single person, there's a place to serve. So we've got opportunities to help in kids' church with first to sixth graders and empowering and teaching and training the next generation about the God who loves them and the Jesus who died for them. Right now, there are volunteers who are over in the room who are doing that right now. For those of us with kids, our kids are being taught and trained by volunteers, people just like you, about how to follow Jesus. Under that, there's some, there's, uh, some teachers who are teaching toddlers. There are some teachers who are holding babies, teaching them in the way that their minds can understand about who God is, and holding them and making sure they don't fall asleep. So instead, they fall asleep and they get home at their nap time, and mom and dad can rejoice. That is a really, really good thing when kids fall asleep on time. If you don't like kids at all, ever, great. Help with setup. Help with teardown. This is, this is one of the things that I really loved about Mountain View when I first came back in 2003 and we met at Clovis High, is there would be like normal guys there, not like church guys showing up in ties, but guys who are halfway through setup, go out and take a cigarette break so they could come back for the, re- for the second half. People who are setting up church. It was normal church run by normal people. And it, it was an first step for me into ministry to see that this is a place that's about reaching normal people. And so I got involved with setup and I met a bunch of normal people and and it's been great. There's also teardown. We, we have to clear this place every week so that a school can be here for the other six and a half days. Now there's tons of opportunities on the serve card which is in your bulletin. Uh, if you're staying here, I would love for you to fill that out and mark the box. Man, I want to help with this. And somebody's going to contact you this week 
uh, and put you in touch with times for training and times for you to understand what you're doing before you're thrown out uh, into the ocean without a life vest. We're going to train you. We're going to equip you. We're going to help you as you grow uh, into the whatever role of service that you want. And if you, like, are not sure, just mark the box and just say, I might not be the greatest person for this, then I'm willing to take a try. I'm willing to take a try. That's awesome. That's you saying, I'm going to serve. I'm going to get out of being a consumer. I'm going to go and serve. Because that's going to help us in so many ways, us individually, not just us as a church, but us individually. Because we're coming together with other people. We're using our gifts to build up Mountain View Sunnyside in this community so that can be more impacted to reach people here. In the last strategy that we have, we've got time, we've got faith, we've got service. The last one is to pray and read your Bible. Verse 9, he says this, How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Three big words right there, enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again and to fill the gaps in your faith. We enter into God's presence as we read the book that he wrote and as we pray to him. Prayer is the conversational element of our love relationship with God. We want to know God. We want to know who we are to him. That happens through prayer. That happens through reading the book that he wrote. That happens as we pause our life, pause ourselves, and say, okay, God, I want to hear who I am to you today. I want to read a book with page after page that's reminding me of the fact that God loves me and calls me to life change. That as he does that, God is completely aware of the sin in my life. And because of that, he sends Jesus to defeat sin. And he's calling me into a life where I leave who I was to become who God created me to be. The life with him running things. The life with him in complete authority over me. And the life that I found, find joy and, and love and peace in. So that's how we win the fight. That's how we win the fight against the devil, the fight against temptation, the fight against discouragement. And that's how God wants to empower us today as men and women who come to him and say, you know what, this is what I've got today. God, can you help me today? Can you help me win this fight today? And every time God says yes, let's stand and pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're a God of love. I thank you that you, are, that you came for us, that you saw us in our separation from you, and instead of saying that we're a lost cause, instead of leaving us as your enemies, Lord, that you took the form of a servant, that you came down, that you gave your life for our freedom so that we could have a relationship with you. If you're here today with your head down and your eyes closed, if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, you never asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to change you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you. I want to give you that chance today. I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, if today's your day, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand, and someone's going to pray with you as we close. You're not saying you're better than anyone else. You're agreeing with all of us that, that we are sinners who have been separated from God, and Jesus came to bring us into a relationship with God. So one, God loves you always has, always will. Today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives that push God away. Those are called sin, and Jesus came to destroy and defeat sin for our freedom. And three, today's your day to say yes to Jesus. Is there anyone like that? Or today's your day to say yes to him, to find forgiveness for the first time. Just look at me and raise your hand. Is there anyone like that today? 
God, as we close, I want to challenge us to respond in two ways. We're confirming with our feet, with our body, uh, the things that God is doing in our hearts. As we talk about fighting temptation, discouragement, the devil, man, if you're in a fight this week, and you need God's intervention, then the sides are going to be open, and I just want us to come forward in an act of humility and an act of putting our lives in God's hands and saying, God, help me win this fight this week. This is your fight. Come in, take over. I'm giving it to you. And if you feel like you've had an awesome, victorious week, then I want you to come forward and say, okay, God, what's my next fight? I want to be sensitive to you. I want to live in a constant state of humility where I'm asking, how can I love you, serve you more with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let's worship and respond to God who loves us.